I'd invite you to turn with me in your Bibles once again to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the beginning of chapter 5. If you haven't been here for the past several weeks, uh, we've been studying our, or we've been uh, making our way through a study of this Old Testament book of uh, wisdom. And uh, so far, I haven't regretted picking this book. It might come. I might regret it uh, later down the road. It has been a challenging book uh, to preach and to, um, to teach, but uh, edifying because it is uh, God's Word. This morning we come to really what is a unique passage, I think, in the book of Ecclesiastes. As I've said before, the book of Ecclesiastes up until this point has been filled with a lot of frustration, a lot of cynicism about life under the sun. As Solomon has observed and reflected upon life, it has driven him there. But mostly, Solomon has told us about what he sees, about what he's observed in in the sense of, this is the way it is. Just, Just see it as I see it. Or see it as I have seen it. And then we come to this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and it's not so much just see what I see, but this is how you ought to live. In other words, do this. And we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and the first three words should jump off the page at us. Guard your steps. And what leads Solomon to this admonition is his thinking about the worship of Yahweh. In the midst of all of these observations, in the midst of all the frustration, and all the dead-end streets that he has walked down, there was apparently, in the midst of all that, this current, this priority of worship. This commitment to the necessity of worship. Of true worship. So after looking at passages, big chunks of this book, with absolutely no reference whatsoever to God, we come to this passage, these first seven verses, and he's mentioned six times, explicitly. It's a concentration that we haven't seen before. And his words to us this morning are a much-needed encouragement and reminder for us as the church. This is a passage about our worship, about our words, about God's words to us, about our words to God, about being silent in order to listen, and about being slow to speak out of fear. So let's listen to this passage and then dive in for a bit Ecclesiastes chapter 5, follow along in your Bibles or in the insert found in your bulletin. This is God's holy word. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, 
For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger, that was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Many of you know this fact, but I love sports. I played sports in high school. I watch a lot of sports now. But I wouldn't necessarily call myself a sports fanatic. You see, I love to watch certain sports. For instance, I love to watch football no matter who is playing and no matter when they're playing. But there are certain sports like NBA basketball and Major League Baseball that I don't really watch until the playoffs. Until it really matters. I mean, come on, in an NBA season, there are 82 games. In a Major League Baseball season, there are 162 games. Frankly, that's too many games for my attention span. Ah, but when it gets down to seven. Best of seven. When the winner goes on and the loser goes home, then it gets good. When things matter, when things really matter, when something's on the line, everything changes. So we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 this morning. It's really the simple message, I think. Simple message of Solomon to us, the Holy Spirit to us this morning, to remember that the familiar matters. I want to flesh that out in two truths for us to consider this morning as we look at these first seven verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. The first one is this, God's Word matters. So come here to listen. God's Word matters, so come here to listen. Fifty-two times a year, we gather in this room for an hour and a half, sometimes a little bit longer, and every one of those gatherings, every one of these gatherings matters. They mean something. They're significant. If for no other reason than the fact that the Creator of the universe, the One who breathed life into your very lungs and keeps your heartbeat beating, meets us here in this place. But how easy it is How easy it is for even my own heart, yes, my own heart, to wake up 
on Sunday morning to walk in here with this attitude, here we go again. In the midst of Solomon's musings about life under the sun, Solomon wants to remind every one of us in here this morning that there is a place that takes us to another place. That there is a place beyond the sun, so to speak. And that place is the house of God. But he's also acknowledging and warning us that we can easily enter that place without much thought, without feeling the gravity of what we're doing, and instead we come with many words. I think it would probably be helpful at the outset to talk about the house of God. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. See, when Solomon wrote this to his original audience, what was Solomon speaking of? He was speaking of the temple. He was speaking of this glorious structure, this physical structure of grandeur and majesty that was the centerpiece of Israeli life. It was where God's Word was was read and explained where the law was expounded. It was where forgiveness and, and wholeness were found as the priest offered sacrifices on behalf of God's people. Thank, sacrifices of thanks, sacrifices for sin. It was where Israel sang their songs to Yahweh. Songs that we have many of in the book of Psalms. But here we are. Here we are in 2015. How should we read that encouragement? I mean, perhaps guard your steps when you go to the house of God doesn't mean anything more than a historical reference to that place long ago. After all, we're not Jews. We're a hodgepodge of ethnicities in this room. The temple that he speaks of lies in ruins while here we are in a gym We don't have sacrifices. We don't need sacrifices because we have Jesus. And as the book of Hebrews says in chapter 12, we don't approach with the fear of Mount Sinai. We approach with the joy of Zion. And all that's true. Much has changed. We can and we must rejoice in that fact. But friends, not everything has changed. Worship still matters. God's Word still matters. The house of God still matters. And let me give you three reasons under this first point. Three reasons followed by three applications. The first one is that God is still God. God is still God. You see, the why of guarding your steps that Solomon exhorts his hearers to do is built on the character of God. Verse 2, He is in heaven and you are on earth. He is the Creator. You and I are creatures. He is infinite and eternal. We are finite and made from the dust of the ground. He is holy and we are plagued with sin. 
Therefore, as verse 7 says, He is to be feared. But what about Jesus, you say? What about Jesus? Indeed, Jesus is the bridge. Jesus is the access. He's the only access that we have this morning into the throne room of God. He brings us close to the Father. But what do you think that does when you get closer to the Father? When I was in Yellowstone and I could hear the distant power of the waterfall and I crossed the bridge with my children to get close to the waterfall, did my awe at the waterfall decrease when I went across the bridge? No. It got even more beautiful. It got even more powerful. It got, frankly, even scarier. And so Jesus says, yes, come to me. Follow me. And see all that I'm about. Because I and the Father are one. See, the book of Hebrews, which is all about Jesus and about how He is better than what came before. Right after this declaration in Hebrews concerning access to God, through Jesus. He concludes with a familiar passage I know to many of you, chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. See, Jesus doesn't negate the majesty, and the fear of God. He makes it greater. And yet our God is too easily too small. But God is still God. Well, the second reason, the second reason that God's Word still matters and that we should come to listen is that this is still His house. Yes, this room is his house. Now Jesus certainly sat with the woman at the well and he told her that there would come a day when there would be no need to worship God in Jerusalem. And indeed, that time has come. The temple's gone. But no, it's not. The dwelling place of God is here. In us. Ephesians chapter 2.19, members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ Himself as the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the temple of the Lord. In Him you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So when we gather here, or when we gather anywhere, we, brothers and sisters, embody a unique dwelling place For God. His presence is not bound to geography, but His presence is profoundly given in the context of His people. So He is still God. And this is still His house. And then lastly, He is still speaking. He is still speaking. And here is the crux of the issue. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, because Solomon's thrust in these first three verses is stop your talking. There's something that you need to hear. 
Now, obviously, if Solomon is saying this thousands of years ago, clearly God spoke in some way in the assembly of God's people at the temple. But what was going on at the temple? We've already talked about it a bit, but the answer is much the same as here. God's Word, which the people didn't have in their laps like you do, was being read and explained And that word, living and active, was accomplishing its purposes in the hearts and lives of God's people. And here we sit with greater clarity, with the final word in Jesus being spoken. And that same word is being read and explained with the fullness that we have that they didn't have. The voice of God is being heard in this place. Yes, imperfectly, through an imperfect vessel, through weakness, but still in a very real and powerful way. So if we believe these things, if we believe that God, our God, is a consuming fire, that He dwells with His people, that He still speaks, then when we gather, this matters. Every time, without exception, this matters. And so it's a place that must be entered with care. We must proceed carefully. Not necessarily somberly, joyfully, but carefully. And we must be ready to listen. So how do we listen? How do we take, obviously I'm spending most of my time on these first three verses. We'll get to the second three verses in a moment. But how do we listen? God's Word still matters. So we need to listen. How do, how do we do that? Well, let me just give a couple applications. Three applications. One, listening involves preparation. Listening involves preparation. I was in Home Depot the other day, and I couldn't believe it. The artificial Christmas trees are already up. No, it wasn't Home Depot. It was Lowe's. The artificial Christmas trees are already up. Christmas is around the corner, folks. And I know for us in our house, that means Michael Buble's Christmas album, yay. And that means It's a Wonderful Life and Home Alone. Home Alone, one of those classic family Christmas movies. And you remember that scene early on in Home Alone when they wake up and the power had gone off in the middle of the night and they wake up and they realize that they slept in And the house erupts. It goes crazy. Where are the passports and tickets? Do we have everybody? Did you count heads? Did you turn off the iron? Did you turn off the stove? That's the Hitchcock house sometimes. On Sunday mornings. And I know that's your house sometimes. On Sunday mornings. And frankly, it's that way because at times we just haven't prepared well. We haven't thought in advance. But listening takes preparation. What are you doing on Saturday night? How much sleep are we getting? Listening is intentional. That's the first thing. But secondly, listening is work. Listening is work. doesn't end when you get here 
What do we expect from this gathering? Do we expect anything from this gathering? Years ago, before some of you in this room were here, I made available a helpful little booklet called Listen Up, A Practical Guide to Listening to Sermons. It's a great little resource, and I bought some more copies, and we put them on that table. If you don't have a copy of this, take it. It's yours. But I want to read you the first two paragraphs of this little book, just in case you forget. It says, why on earth do we need a book like this, you may say? After all, it would be pointless to write a booklet about how to watch TV. And listening to a sermon is even easier than watching TV because I don't have to master the remote. All I have to do is sit and try to stay awake until the end. And then presto, I've listened to the sermon. It's something that is done to me or even inflicted upon me, not something that I take part in. I don't need a booklet to tell me how. It's no different than watching the news on TV. Ah, the writer says, but it's not the same at all. After the parable of the sower, Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen. And He goes on to say that if we listen in one way, we will be given more. But if we listen in another way, even what we think will have been taken from us or will be taken from us. The way we listen is a life or death business. It is possible to have ears that fail to hear, to be ever hearing but never understanding. Listening to sermons is a risky business. It can damage your health or take you closer to final rescue. What it won't do is leave you unchanged. God's Word matters. God is still speaking So guard your steps when you come to the house of God and come to listen. Just a little side note here. This is not, oh, you got to listen to me because I'm Pastor Nate and I've got cool stuff to say. Now when I step behind this pulpit, frankly, folks, sometimes I just get scared to death that I'm supposed to speak from God's Word to you with all of this mess. So this is not, listen to Pastor Nate because he's so cool and he's a great speaker. I'm not cool and I'm not a great speaker. But God's Word is powerful. And it matters. And when we gather, He's here. And He's not just speaking to you, but He's speaking to me. Well, the last thing in terms of the application of listening is listening requires grace. I mean, it it requires grace for me to speak. It requires grace, I know, for you to hear. And so spend some time praying for grace to listen. You know, we have a little built-in place in our liturgy. It's kind of before our liturgy starts, quieting our hearts. And the purpose of that was to simply give you a moment before you come into God's presence to think about the Gospel, to think about your own heart, to pray as you listen. Listening requires grace. Well, that's the first truth with three sub-points, with three applications, sorry to be so convoluted. 
But the second truth has to do with the second set of verses, verses 4 through 7, and it's this. Not just does God's Word matter, but our words matter. So be slow to speak them. Our words matter. To be slow to speak, so be slow to speak them. You see how in some ways these, these two sections are connected. Words are a dime of dozen and we treat them that way much of the time. And Solomon wants to remind us that no, your words matter. And he's warning us, he's reminding us that about a particular kind of word that was spoken, a vow to the Lord. And we see these vows to the Lord throughout Scripture. Let me give you a couple examples. Genesis 28.20, 20, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I will go, will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I may come to my father's house in peace. All of this, well, excuse me, then the Lord my God, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house and all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. It's a vow before the Lord. First Samuel 1.11, Hannah spoke, saying, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look upon you, the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. It's a vow to the Lord. So we have these unique vows in redemptive history, but we also apparently have, in addition to these, religious vows that would be made from time to time in the temple. Commitments before the Lord. And so Solomon says, returning to our passage, that there were those who apparently would come into worship, not with hearts ready to listen, but hearts ready to affirm their resolve. I am going to do this for you, Lord. And then when it didn't happen, they would make excuses. Or they would say it was a mistake. And Solomon says, be careful what you say. Remember the God that you serve. Your words matter. Now when we think of the word vow in 2015, what do you think of? You think of those of you who are married and even those who aren't. You think of marriage vows. Till death do us part. Maybe you think, uh, like David does, of baptismal vows as he presents his son to be baptized. I believe and I will by God's grace. We think of membership vows. I know I think of ordination Vows, these very formal vows that were made in a very public manner before God and before others. And I think it's certainly appropriate as we hear verses 4 through 7 to, to think again upon those, to reflect again to what you've committed to, to know that those words mattered when you spoke. That it wasn't just air going off. But no, those were vows that bonded you to your wife or to your husband. That, it, that knit you together in this church. It's appropriate that I spoke about the Zerfos move as a tear 
Because whenever someone leaves, it's, it's, there's a tearing that takes place. Do what you said you would do, indeed. But I don't want us merely to come to this passage and to think about those vows that are, for many of us, formal and distant. When I came to this passage, as I thought about this passage, specifically in the context of point one, and the fact of God's words mattering, I couldn't help but think of Peter's words. I couldn't help but think of Peter. Brash, speak before you think, Peter. And in Matthew 26.35, he says to Jesus, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Oh, Peter. I mean, that's a vow. That's a vow before the Lord that he made in an attempted act of piety. And therefore, in some way related to what Solomon is talking about was going on in the house of God. These attempted acts of piety. Of course, we all know the end story of Peter. He says those words, and then what does he do? He denies him. Three stinking times. And, and I read that story, and I think, how easily that is me. How easily I make resolutions and commitments. How easily I underestimate my own weakness and I speak words that I ought not to speak to the Lord. And so yes, this encourages me to guard my tongue, but really this points me to the Gospel. This reminder that my words matter points me to the Gospel. Because the news that we celebrate this morning, the news that Solomon really couldn't see in full view in the midst of this truth that he speaks to us in Ecclesiastes 5, is that where our words fail, God's Word endures. Where our performance falls flat, God's grace picks us up. And so Proverbs 30, verse 5 simply says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. So yes, commit yourself anew to the seriousness with which we ought to receive God's Word and the seriousness with which we ought to hold our own tongues and be careful what we say and be careful what we commit to one another and before the Lord. But don't think about this in merely an abstract way. but think upon and take refuge in Jesus. And the fact that Jesus is here this morning and He wants to speak to you. And He wants to be with you. And He wants you to know Him. And He wants to tell you that all of your failed words have been covered by Him. That's good news. That matters. And if Jesus is going to be here every week, then I want to be here every week. And I want you to be here every week. So let's listen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word this morning, for the truth that it speaks to us. 
hearts that so easily in the routine and in the repetition of even this gathering, we forget what what is happening here and what's going on. Father, we pray that You would teach us and grow us and remind us that Your words matter. That You are here. That You are still speaking. Oh, and Father, help us to guard our tongues. Help us to not rest in our attempted acts of piety, but to rest in Jesus. The final word. The One who speaks a better word than all that came before Him. And the One who speaks right now at Your right hand, saying, they are Mine. Father, may we rejoice in that news this day. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.